Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by senior reporter Bill Conroy to talk about industry forecasts on home price appreciation and also how non-QM lenders are racing to stay ahead of interest rate changes. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, hello. Glad to be here. Always great to talk to you. You have done some great reporting in the last week or so. And and one of the things that you've been really running down is what is happening with the home price appreciation? What should we look forward to um, for the rest of the year? What are some of the economic forecasts going on? So I would love to talk to you about that. You wrote a story about how the nation's housing market is on a correction course. So let's talk about some of the people that you interviewed there and, and what they had to say. Yeah, I mean, the the last report I did, and actually one out today, deals with you know multiple sources on this, including Fannie Mae puts out a report, Freddie Mac, and their economists both weigh in. Moody's, uh, Mark Zandi gave a presentation that I listened to uh, talking about this. And of course, we had Kay Schiller coming out this morning. And all of them point basically to the same thing, which is it'd be easier to say home prices are dropping. But they're they're still rising, but the pace of acceleration is definitely moderating, um, and that's expected according to the, the consensus of the economists to continue, you know, over the coming months and into next year, driven primarily by the the rate environment because you know the Fed this week again will announce likely at least a 0.75 bump. Um, they had one, you know, uh, a couple months back, and they're, they're steadily going to uh, push up the benchmark rate, which indirectly causes, uh, normally anyway, it causes uh, the, the mortgage rates to go up on the 30-year or actually all of them. Um, so you've seen a, you know, 2.5% percentage point jump in the interest rate at the end of the year where, you know, high twos, you know, low threes, and now we're at high Fives, five, seven, something like that. It's the latest. So that's going to keep happening. And uh, and what they're saying is it's making housing unaffordable for a larger and larger slice of the population of home buyers. And that's going to cool off the housing market. And they, they do expect it'll push up some inventory or, or create additional inventory as the prices uh, drop. As demand for, for the housing drops, people drop out of the market, then the, you know people are going to lower their prices. And that, that they expect that will help to make more inventory available for sale. All that together is actually, from the point of view of most of them, if, if we don't go into it, and they don't think it's going to be a crash. I'll get to that in a second. But if we don't go into a crash, probably going to be long-term healthy for the market. Right, rates will settle in at five to six percent, and you know we'll have some some balance between supply and demand, and housing prices will be more affordable at, at the end of this for a larger swath of the population. That's that's kind of the picture. But to give you an example, it's not like we're going to get a total reprieve uh, from from housing price increases. Freddie Mac thinks next year it's going to be still you know a four percent market rise in in prices. That's a heck of a lot better than the double-digit uh, increases we've been seeing annualized, uh, you know, in recent months. And Kay Schiller is out today showing how that annualized uh, number is 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 slowly creeping down. It, for May, it was a 19.7 percent annualized gain. That's nationwide, but that's down from 20.4 in, in April and 20.6 in, uh, in March. So it's, I think, the the peak they 
they're looking at was probably back in February, and it's kind of slipping down now, and they expect it to continue. Prospect of a crash kind of was headed off. I mean, Mark Zandi probably summarized it in talking about why he doesn't think there'll be a crash, and that's because, number one, loans that are being made that are, that are already on the books or, or, or being made are, are you know, well underwritten. Uh, that's a byproduct of the changes made after the, the last crash 15 years ago in many ways, where it's a lot stricter oversight of, of the underwriting. And and both from the industry's point of view and both the industry uh, wanting that as well as regulators. And, and that seems to be paying some dividends right now. And then uh, on top of that, you know, it, there's, well, he said, there's less speculation right now than there was back, you know, in the last crash with, with a lot of the uh, kind of derivative products floating around, betting on bets and so forth. You know, so we have that going for us. And also, you know, inventory, even though it, it's going to loosen up some in the sense that there'll be more product for sale. It's still relatively tight by historical standards, so it's not like we just we're going to have a you know a glut of homes hit the market and completely destabilize it. So it it, it looks like a controlled deceleration. You know, like we're not going to go flying off the road. That's what they're predicting, and I, and I think that's relatively good news, considering all the bad news that's out there. And time will tell if they're right. But again, month after month, it's just a slow letting out. You know, letting off some of the steam on, on these these uh, price appreciation. That seems to be the pattern, and it held true now um, with the Case-Shiller report, and we'll just have to watch it going forward, um, absent some great shock to the system. Uh, unlike the economy, which some folks think we'll find out this week if we had negative growth of the GDP later this week, that that would be two quarters in a row. Some define that as a recession. Although I was listening to the, the Treasury Secretary the other day talking about how they're kind of redefining <laughs> what a recession uh, is in a sense that, that it's a broad-based slowdown in the economy, and they're saying la- the labor market's still strong. So we're even if we have two quarters of negative growth, we're not going to be in a recession. All that aside, of course, unemployment's a lagging indicator. Many folks think we are very close, are going to be bumped into a recession with these rate hikes, but it might be more of a controlled deceleration for the housing market that that you know by next year, I don't know when, mid next year, whatever, end of next year. Um, you know, we'll have some equilibrium in the market that'll make it easier for for everybody. And remember, too, if, if we actually bump rates up, or the Fed does, and, and the rates do go up fairly high, and the economy does go into a recession, unfortunately, then the Fed is probably going to decelerate rates, right? I mean, that's the tool they have is to, to lower rates. So they're going to get them as high as they can, short of a recession. But if we bump into a recession, then the next tool is to lower rates. Um, and every, you know, quarter to half point that the rates drop, that's a mini refi boom. So we could see that happen, you know, later down this, in, in this cycle where we have some resurgence in the in the refi because of rates actually going down a bit if, if, if the economy gets a little bit rough. So there's a lot of ifs. I mean, employment is really strong now. A recession is clearly going to impact that. It's to what extent and whether it's regional or broad-based. All those are unknowns. But the report so far is look for prices to continue decelerating and for inventory to loosen up a little bit, make it you know a, a little easier uh, for the market to function in the you know, probably six months into next year anyway. Let's put it that way. 
I think that, uh, you know, what constitutes a recession is so interesting. Those things have been changing a little bit. I know we were talking with Logan Motoshami on a regular basis. He has a, a six recession flag model. Uh, it's more of a progression model as opposed to like, okay, this is what the, you know, GDP does. But uh, for housing, he kind of looks at it a little bit differently. And it is just, I mean, however you look at it, things are slowing down. But to your point, and to some of the people that you um, interviewed and and talked to or listened to, there's nothing like a crash coming. I thought thought Mark Zandi from Moody's was really interesting when he said, you know, like he he says 80% of the homes right now, he thinks are overvalued. Yeah. So at first you're like, wow, that's a huge number. But it, it sounds like when, when you see what else he, he talks about, it's like, you know, so so things are coming off of that. But I mean, you're talking about coming off of like in some areas, you know, two two years of 30 percent right. price growth. Right. So you can give back, you know, some of that and still come out ahead. And that's kind of what folks are looking at. Zandi also said there's probably going to be a few markets. They actually did a kind of a heat map that I can't show you, but showed areas where there's going to be, you know, deceleration, but also a few areas of the country where we're probably going to see, you know, even a price drop, um, you know, not much, you know, as he said, at, you know, 10% or less, but it'd be in these really hot markets like Phoenix and Tampa that have seen those 30% year on year um, bumps in, in, in like, even the Case Shiller report today had Tampa up there as uh, 30% percent plus increase annualized in, in prices. So, you know, uh, a, a, a price decline there as you know, isn't going to really, you know, put homeowners in trouble. They're still going to come out ahead and it's going to make uh, the market more affordable for buyers. So, uh, you know, it could be a win-win for all of them. It's that Goldilocks zone, so to speak, with the rates. And I think that's, that's possible. You know, the, those Florida markets, they are crazy. So, you know, American Enterprise Institute had their home price appreciate, appreciation index report. They released that last week. And yes, you know, they found that home price appreciation started to slow after hitting a peak, a peak of 17.3% in March, right? So, so now we're down to uh, 15% in June, uh, which is down from 16.2%. And, and let's, let me be clear, home price appreciation was 15%. So we're still seeing I mean, that's still a lot. But in Florida, they, you know, they had six of the 10 fastest HPA metro six were in Florida. And they point out Cape Coral, which is, you know, 32.4 percent, which is exactly what you're talking about. Like, you know, Florida, uh, I mean, Tampa, you've got North Point at 28 percent. You've got Miami at 25 percent on the low end of their spectrum. They have Pittsburgh, which has, you know, um, which is just kind of funny because it's down at like 8.6%, as if that's terrible, you know, <laughs> like 8.6% is still like, uh, you know, houses are appreciating or home prices are appreciating. So it, it's just funny that we are in a like uh, fun hall mirror world of like craziness. Like, yes, things are down, but the average is still 15%. Well, the other thing to remember too is is it's a percentage game, and and you know the prices for homes in Florida versus let's say Seattle where I'm at, you can have a twenty percent jump in, in a price on a Florida home, and it might be dollar wise about the same as half that in Seattle, right? I mean, it just depends uh, on what the starting line is for the for the um, you know, increase. So I think in that sense, you know, the the, the percentages can be a little bit deceiving. Um, you know, you got to kind of 
look, every market, it's like politics with housing. I think everything is local. <laughs> it's, so it's, you know, I, I think you, you, you really got to pay attention to the, the context of the, the regional or local market to, to understand the, the price curve. Um, but clearly, yeah, I mean, places like Florida, places like uh, Phoenix, uh, and there's, there, there's some hot spots, you know, in other parts of the country where we've seen these, you know, double digit price increases. You know, even here in Seattle, frankly, I mean, it, which is crazy because the prices of homes here are like to find a house in Seattle, you better have a million bucks. And I'm just saying like a normal house. <laughs> so in Florida and California is even worse. So um, that that's kind of the nature of the market we've been in for what? For, for as long as uh, probably many of us can remember before the last crash, if we lived through that, you know, having lived through that last crash, even being a homeowner um, and a journalist during that period covering business. I, I agree with them that I don't see the same signs on the horizon. You know, none of us really caught that till after the fact, frankly. The subprime lending, the, the, you know, kind of the toxic assets that were being created, that's the speculation. None of that's happening now, right? Um, and in fact, if anything, there's been probably a concern that the loans have been underwritten too strictly. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're seeing now that, no, that's probably not the case. This is probably what's going to you know, save the housing market this time that, that you know, uh, finally we were proactive in fixing it, something. It really it did. It's, it's <laughs> stunning when we you look at the legislation the that was put in that place, we had last which time, was in the same way. Um, felt very onerous to the people in the industry trying to, you know, uh, comply with all of that. But wow, has, you know, you look at the underwriting today and you think that we are at a different place. And, and that goes into one of the other things that you've been reporting on, which is what's happening at the non-QM lenders? And just how they're how they have been struggling amid the rising rates has really been um, difficult for some of them. And we've had some pretty spectacular stories or stories about some pretty spectacular uh, things happening in, in maybe a bad way, a spectacular fall, for instance, um, you know, FGMC and Sprout Mortgage. So maybe let's talk about that story a little bit. Y- you have one non-QM lenders are racing to stay ahead of rates. So so what is going on there? Yeah, and that's a that's an example where again the underlying loans in question are all solid, good loans. And if they're sitting on someone's balance sheet, let's say a bank, uh, these non-QM loans that were made, and they're at you know point and a half uh, above the, the you know the market rate. So if the thirty-year rate for uh, if the rate for a thirty-year conventional is at you know five seven, and uh, you know you're going to be looking at you know above seven for for non-QM. The problem is that the rates had increased so fast and people made some bad bets uh, thinking that, you know, they would, you know, level off faster than they did, or maybe even, you know, bounce downward some. So if they didn't, if, the, if these non-QM lenders didn't raise their rates fast enough, what they're doing now or what they're dealing with now, especially everyone's dealing with the loans from last year that are at 3%. When you securitize those or the liquidity channels, let's put it that way, try to sell them in the whole loan market to raise money to make more loans, or you you, you securitize them in the private label market with, with non-QM. If, you, if you're coming out with, uh, you know, uh, bonds based on 3% loans and the rates are, you know, well, let's say non-QM or maybe the coupon was more uh, in the low fours, but rates are now at seven. Well, clearly you're going to have some issues with, with, with the value. I mean, the investors would rather have the higher rate bonds is what's happening. And that's, you know, leading to some 
choppiness in the in the um, securitization market and in the whole loan market where a lot of these lower rate loans are selling under par. So if you have a bunch of these on your books um, and you have no real liquidity option, in other ways, a way to, to sell those loans, to recoup the cash to make more loans, and you're not a bank, so you, you really don't have, you know, keeping them on your books forever is not a, an option as a non-QM lender. You got to move them because you borrowed against them. That's the warehouse lines that you, you've got open that you use that money to make the loans. And then you're going to securitize or sell them and then repay the warehouse line and get your profit out of it. Well, if your profits evaporated and you can, you can only sell these loans for a loss, then the warehouse lenders are kind of, you know, stuck as well. And they usually require some skin in the game from the um, from the non-QM lender. But if, if the loss on the loans is below that, then the warehouse lenders are starting to take a hit. And that's that's kind of where we're at. We, you know, we, we saw we could look under the hood with the uh, FGMC bankruptcy. And it's clear that that was one of the issues. They owed like four hundred thirty eight million dollars to four warehouse lenders. Um, and most of those were secured by the loans and other, you know, various other uh, assets. They're still going to have to fight that out in bankruptcy now, you know, because everything gets discounted usually in a bankruptcy, even the secured creditors often, um, depending on how much, how many assets are left and what, where you are in line. So warehouse lenders got, don't want that really to happen. And so maybe they work out some of these, you know, they, they maybe they're still kind of making some money on them. They can hold them until the non QM lenders can kind of, you know, work through these issues. Um, and, you know, th- th- there's, there's others that, that, you know, banks are fine putting these on their balance sheets, right? Because they're still uh, performing loans that are, are cash flowing. Um, but that's the problem. There's like a, a bulge in the belly of the snake where we got these low rate loans that, the, the non-QM lenders still have to get through the system, the ones that didn't move rates fast enough. Um, and the new loans they're making, if they're making them at the right coupon, at the right interest rate, they should be fine going forward. But they still got to swallow all these, these, these you know, I guess, you know, un- underperform, under par loans, if you will, loans that, that they're not going to make the profit on if or maybe even lose a little on. And there's estimates no one knows for sure. And, and uh, you know, but... It, Apparently, some believe there's several billion dollars worth of these, you know, low coupon loans still on warehouse lines, and they got to be worked out. And you know, they and we saw what happened. You know, uh, Sprout, I assume, might have had the similar problem with their warehouse lines, but we don't know yet. But FGMC clearly did, and they they predict there will be a few more. Now that doesn't mean we're going to have more failures. And remember, we had two failures. I mean, every year banks fail. I mean, even in good years. So. This isn't like a, a crisis yet, but they're, they're, they're the, the, the folks that I talked to for this story, which are you know non-QM executives, think, yeah, there's more of this stuff out there. There's going to be more pain in the non-QM market, um, you know, at least financial pain. Um, whether it turns into a solvency issue for more of these lenders, that time will tell, but that wouldn't surprise them. But it's also possible that, that you know, there's just going to be some losses booked and, and uh, you know, and we'll have to move on from there and maybe they recoup it going forward. But that's where the market's at right now with non-QM. And it's not really a demand problem. The, the loans are in demand. It's not a quality of loan problem. The, the, the quality loans are being made. It's it's an interest rate problem. And it's really, in a way, kind of an artificial one, if you will, because it's caused by the Fed's aggressive moves on rates to control inflation. Um, so I guess, you know, 
the housing market always takes it on the chin with with monetary policy in many times, many ways. And this is just another example of it. In order to control the larger inflation in the economy, the Fed has a very blunt tool, which is raising rates. And, you know, the folks that didn't anticipate this, the velocity of the rate increases uh, as executives and managers are now paying a price for that. I also think, you know, you have uh, you have banks that are looking at it and adjusting. So you see Flagstar Bank said that, you know, yeah, they're, they're ramping up scrutiny of their loan reviews, right? So that was a big part of, of what you were reporting on there is that they've, they've changed their review process and they're really being careful to make sure that they don't get stuck with that. Yeah. I mean, basically, the way it was explained to me is for they had 16 non-QM lenders, basically, I assume everyone they're working with, they want to, you know, basically review their, you know, it's like another, uh, as one uh, executive described, it's like a babysitter. They want to look at all the loans coming through and know what they're getting into. Um, yeah, that that's going on. And that, that's to be expected. I mean, I don't know how much it'll it'll help with these past loans. I, I do think the lenders, the non-QM lenders, you know, because rates have at least not, they're not increasing at the velocity they were. We'll see it after this, new, this bump this week, what happens. But I think they've, you know, many of them are ahead of it now, but they had this period of months and all these loans from last year that were seasoning to get securitized this year. So this, like, I think of it as a big bulge in the belly of a snake. It's got to get through um, for everything to kind of get back to a more normal market. Um, and I don't know what reviewing new loans will help, I guess, but it's really the the, the older loans that are, that are the problem right now, the legacy loans. I do think that the acceleration, how fast. Uh, the velocity of those rate increases was really the thing. It's not that people didn't know they were coming. It's not that they, you know, hadn't already worked some of that out. It's just that I don't think anybody thought they would go so fast. Well, I mean, just the example of how hard it was. One of the folks we talked to, Acro Lending, they said they raised rates, you know, or they moved rates 18 times, a couple times down because, you know, they fluctuate, but almost the rest of them all up. You know, you know, uh, between, you know, the beginning of the year and now, I mean, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> and uh, and if if someone else didn't keep up with that pace and some didn't, some didn't anticipate it, um, then they're underwater a little bit with some of their loans is what it amounts to. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to have to work through that. Fascinating look at things. Great reporting on both of these stories and the other, you know, things that you're doing for us. So I would just tell our listeners, uh, go check out some of uh, Bill's stories because they're very well done and they really give you a, a picture of what's happening at different levels. So the first story we talked about is really talking about the larger, the large picture. And then the, the second was like, here, here's how this is affecting one part of the market uh, pretty significantly, pretty substantially. So great work on that. And, and Bill, as always, love to have you on. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or... How is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, 
member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.